Before we get into the conversation, I just want to give a huge shout out to the sponsors of this episode, Newzest. They're a plant-based nutrition company that believes in making good nutrition easy for everyone. Newzest produces a range of nutritional products including its clean, lean protein, a sustainable pea protein powder. Pea protein contains all nine essential amino acids that people need to support muscle health and other bodily functions. The clean lean protein variety from Newzest contains up to 21 grams of protein per serving and is a super convenient way to help you achieve your daily protein requirements. I personally love the chocolate flavor which tastes amazing in a smoothie or some overnight oats. Don't take my word for it though, head to newzest.com forward slash PBN to check out its range and use the discount code PBN20 for 20% off. As soon as you get out in the morning, you birth for. I'm just totally like immersed by nature all the time and it feels amazing. But for me, it feels great. But I've always had a longing whilst I've been playing rugby to go just go traveling for like an exterior, extended period of time. But I've never been able to because it didn't really make any any sense to people and me at that, at that age. And because the French season finishes different to the English season. And last year, when the season got cancelled due to COVID for a bit, I got the van and I've been in there ever since. Hi plant friends and welcome to another episode of the PBN podcast. I'm your host Robbie Lockie. This week we meet Anthony Malauli. Anthony is a rugby league professional with over 200 career appearances as well as receiving the Super League trophy with the Leeds Rhinos in 2017. Anthony played two World Cups in Ireland in 2013 and 2017. Known as the Vegan Warrior, Anthony's nickname reflects his growing passion for sustainable living and reconnecting with the natural environment around him. Feeling overwhelmed after helping Leeds Rhinos become Super League champions, Anthony knew he needed to reassess what made him happy and realized fulfillment had to come from within. First, he turned to meditation for answers, and when lockdown happened in 2020, Anthony decided it was time for a change. He bought a camper van, he moved to Cornwall, and he immersed himself in nature, spending his time surfing and hiking. He then turned his back on Super League and set up men's nature retreats and workshops. I love this episode, it was hilarious. Anthony is such a great guy and we talked about lots of interesting subjects. We kept getting interrupted by airplanes and birds, tractors and people coming and going, but that's what it's like when you're out in the wilderness uh, living off the land and living out of your camper van. It was such a great episode, I know you're going to love it and uh, yeah, please always don't forget to comment, like and share if you do enjoy this episode and if you are on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review, it really helps get the message out there. Let's get to the episode. Anthony, thanks so much for joining us on the PBM Podcast, what a pleasure to sit down with you. My pleasure mate, it's uh, been a long time coming but we got there didn't we? We did. We've been planning this for a while, but um, as always with, you know, pandemics and cafes and traveling and men's retreats, <laughs> all these things in between, uh, yeah, which man. we will talk about, um, we finally got to sit down, which is great. At first, I lost a couple of kilos. Um, that was from vegetarian to vegan, but I think that was probably from a lot of like the dairy that I used to eat, the dairy, like cheese and, and obviously eggs, but then like my weight balanced again, and but my body fat actually went down. so. As long as because I maintain my weight and the body fat went down, it suggests that um, obviously I've maintained muscle and, and lost fat. So and that's on like a high carby diet where a lot of people are pretty scared of the carbs, aren't they? Or even though the body handles them really well. So but yeah, like on the pitch I feel fitter. I just feel yeah, just a lot more energy. Like I've got more energy in the mornings, which helps me go for training more. So yeah, just just a lot better in the whole and a bit mentally clearer as well. Before we start talking about all the amazing things you've been doing with your life today, let's go back in time to your vegan journey, the thing that brought us together, veganism, plant-based, you know, how did you discover this lifestyle? Where did it all begin for you? It began with my my sister and her, well, now fiance. They was they was weaning off animal products. I, I was still, I, I was, well, I can't remember what I was, 
a long time ago. But I was still in that really like macho-y um, mindset of like you need meat. Um, like I couldn't I couldn't think of having a meal without without meat or any sort of animal product. And then they kind of persuaded me to watch a video from uh, Gary Yurovsky, who, who I guess you'd be familiar with him. A uh, famous activist, obviously quite controversial. I think he's banned from like 20 countries. But I I, I love him. I love him. And uh, I watched his video. I, I, I was getting a bath and I thought, well, why am I in the bath? I'm just going to watch this on like YouTube. And I, I watched it. And like just after that first video, it was, just, it, was, it was like some sort of like veil of being lifted. And there's just so much stuff that I didn't really know. Uh, and obviously I had, to, I had to further research it myself to make sure it was accurate in terms of like environmental impact uh, and the actual cruelty that goes on. I just recently read this story about this Nazi. His name was Ernst Goebbels. He and his men were executing children one day, but he didn't like the way his guards were grabbing kids by their hair before they shot him in the back of the head and tossed him in a mass grave. He actually ordered his men to stop grabbing the kids by their hair. And I quote, kill them in a more decent way. That story sickens me as much as the stories that meat, cheese, milk, and egg eaters love to tell. Hey, Gary, I only eat free-range freedom eggs. Hey, Gary, I only eat animals who were raised and killed humanely on a cage-free organic farm. There is no such thing as humane when it comes to meat, cheese, milk, and eggs. Humane slaughter, humane rape, humane slavery. Humane holocausts do not exist. And if for some reason my aforesaid words and the video we just watched aren't proof enough of the terrorism claims that I am levying against the meat, dairy, and egg industries and humanity itself, I don't know. Maybe the billions of dead, dismembered animal bodies could count as proof. Peace begins at the dinner table with what you put into your body on a daily basis. Good people don't talk about kindness. They practice it. They don't pray about love. They actually give it. I know you have the capability of understanding right from wrong because you all hate people who harm children. Why not despise people who harm animals? It's hypocritical. Why protect one and violate the other when neither one wants nor deserves the abuse? They just wish it would end. I would have called myself a compassionate person and then I have obviously had to question that. I had to question, I had to over, well, you say you're a compassionate person, person but your, your consumer of choices are causing a lot of harm. So I had to reevaluate a lot of things and that's kind of started my journey. Well, I mean, growing up, you uh, you know, obviously thought to be a man who's obviously dominant and strong. And over the years, you've realized that people's perceptions and, and, and kind of views change all the time. How do you think kind of people's views have changed about what it means to be a man, that you have to be dominant and strong and sort of, you know, kill things? You know, do you feel like things are changing? Do you think that people are changing? Yeah, I think that's an outdated concept. For sure, and that's um, that's something I'm working on away from rugby at the moment, on on the side. We can, obviously we can get into that, but obviously you hear the term toxic masculinity, and 
I, I agree and disagree. I don't, I don't like the term because masculinity at essence isn't bad. It's just an energy we embody no matter, no matter what you identify as. But we are now, and there's loads of these negative connotations attached with masculinity and being tarred with the same brush uh, due to that, them, uh, them actions, like you say, the dominance, oppression, overbearing. And it's breeding, it's breeding the wrong type of masculinity, and especially in my, in my culture, the rugby culture. Growing up, we uh, we have pseudo, we had pseudo initiations. Well, I didn't know that's what it was, but knowing now, so my initiation to manhood was like, how much I could drink on the weekend. If I had a fight on the weekend after like a rugby game with the lads, I'd come in training on Monday and I'd be seen as like a big guy and I accepted, you know, and uh, obviously chasing women. That was that was my initiation into into manhood, and it breeds the wrong type because what happens is there's this. So there's like a staple point what people think it is and so and if you're not there if if you're not there you either go hyper hyper masculine to try and fit that or you regress into your into a shell because you don't feel you fit being a man so you kind of you don't you don't accept yourself so and they, so instead of just accepting wherever you are in your own masculinity and getting to the core values we either go too hard or we regress and you're not necessarily living to your full potential so that's something I'm working on at the moment. Do you think that culture that we, many of us have grown up in, this sort of hyper-masculine culture, which says, you know, boys don't cry, man up, grow some balls, be a B, be this tough person that you're meant to be, you know, the society that we grew up has created this sort of framework of which men are supposed to sort of force themselves into. Do you, do you think that that's been damaging, was ever damaging to you as a person or, or, or other young men? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, I had my... my- turbulent moments growing up as a like late teen early 20s and like, like first of all my, my mum did a great my, my father left when we were young uh, my mum did an amazing job to take us from nothing to like just having her own couple of hairdressers businesses and doing really well and she was kind of filled filled both roles but at the same time I, I, I did lack of that like uh, integral masculine role and like just kind of tell me look that that so it's that's not what it means to be a man this is what it means to be a man so instead of like the dominance and the oppression the smaller like, integrity right are we living with are we having clear direction but we are we purposeful are we are we being generative to others but so for me yeah I, like i said i lacked guidance so i got into i got into a little bit of trouble for fighting when i was younger i had a i had a son at a really young age because i was just i was trying to i was trying to fit this mold like we're talking about and it's just it's not it's not healthy and then it kind of took for periods for me where i just started to feel really hollow and hollow and i was like well this is actually who i am like at essence I, I, this is not who i am and i had to like step away from that and i realized i'm just putting on an act for, for so people see me this way i was just trying to portray an image i wanted people to think of me it's not who i really was why do you think so many men in our culture are so terrified of appearing sensitive, gentle, showing any kind of emotion? You know, as a as a man who's who's sort of especially as playing in playing rugby as well, you've been heavily exposed to a hyper masculine environment. Like, what is it about emotions and feelings and sensitivity? You know, is it just as simple as people are think that it's weakness, or do you think men are perhaps a little afraid of emotions? Yeah, I think there's I think there's kind of two answers to that so definitely we associate we associate it with weakness when we do feel these feelings like sadness guilt like this like vulnerability we will push that down we will push that down and we will substitute it for anger for dominance so we we don't want we don't want to feel 
these feelings that you just mentioned because we associate with weakness weakness so we then go extra hard to push it away but all we're doing is we're just pushing it now we're suppressing it and obviously as we know that's going to come back up later on in different in unconscious actions later on in life which aren't going to be very helpful like violence right Viol- violence exactly yeah hmm. yeah it is an unresolved issue and you know going back to what you said about toxic masculinity a lot of men particularly heterosexual cisgendered heterosexual men often respond with anger when we talk about um, toxic masculinity and you know someone who doesn't identify in that space it's it's quite hard for me to to sort of understand why there is anger because at the end of the day you know when we talk about toxic masculinity, we're not saying all men are toxic. <laughs> we're not saying that all the male species are to- toxic, but many men take on that. They they think that, you know, all men are sexist, all men are predators. You know, some men are, some men are predatory, some men are sexist. But the point is, is that, you know, we all of us need to work through our demons and work through our challenges. And I think for me, that is the point of being alive, of being a human being. We're not born into a perfect world. We're born into a very imperfect world. And that, you know, we have these impossible ideals, whether it's body ideals or like how we should be with money or how we should be with, um, you know, relationships. People have all these expectations and we wonder why young men or even older men are suffering. You know, suicide is the single biggest killer of men in the UK uh, under 55 now. It kills more men than any single type of cancer, which is obviously one of the leading killers of human beings. 8,000 men take their own lives every single year in the UK. It's an entire rugby team for context every single day, an entire rugby team of men every single day taking their own lives. It's a, it's almost an epidemic in our country, but yet so few, few people are talking about it. Obviously in our circles, people are talking about it. But out there in the world, it's still an alien concept. I mean, how do you feel about that? Like you, you're involved in this work, but how do you feel about knowing so many, you know, young men? We're losing so many young men every single day. Yeah, I think the word epidemic is is correct. I think that's I think that's a that's very correct, and I think I think a lot of it is because to do the repre- the the repression and suppression of of emotions because we we don't feel like we have a space where we can express that, and it gets built up, and like you say. But then we act. We act unconsciously. There's all these white cis males because there's a there's a big drive towards equality in, in all aspects of life, which is amazing. I think a lot of guys are getting defensive of it, like like you said before, and it's it's the wrong it's the wrong way to go about it. And and now, especially in relationships with men, with men and women, because the the role the roles are starting to reverse, which is which is which is amazing. I don't think men are dealing with that very well. So and because and that so because it's taking kind of the identity away from them as like as being the strong the strong provider. So now they're in spaces where it's in unfamiliar spaces. And like I said, I think it's important that men have somewhere to go to to let it out and and vent. Which is what you're doing with your retreats, right? Tell me, tell me a bit. Tell us a bit about these experiences for men that you're building and you've created uh, a, a safe space for men to express themselves and sort of talk about these challenges perhaps so what are they what are they like your your events yeah so that, if, if i can sum it up it's it's a space to come to drop those like that drop those roles like i just said as the as the father as the as the provider as the husband and they like, kind of just get back to get back to like authenticity get back to source in in nature because our essence we're not we're not separate from nature but we 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 think we are so it's kind of coming if you kind of go in nature for a certain amount of time you can drop 
you can drop kind of these roles. You feel you feel a part of something bigger than yourself. And in that brings a sense of contentment, a sense of fulfillment, which is which is really which is really nice. And what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to break down those unhealthy parts of masculinity that we associate with. And like we're so like we talk about, well, that's not what it that's not what it means, and that's not healthy. What so, what are some of the unhealthy aspects do you think of masculinity? Dominance. We think we have to, we have to be dominant and. It's not just stopped with other men, our, our partner, other women. It's how as it's how we're treating the planet, isn't it? Right. So, like we've we're the only we're the only species that has took far more than we, than we need, and it's just it's come because and because we don't we can't control nature, like we kind of fear it. So we've we've tried to control it as much as we can, and it's it's not, it's not working out. So dominance, but you know, I think we're. People think we have to be strong, like physically strong, and that's that. That's not true. That's not true either. You can be strong in your integrity, in your in your morals, and how you how you show up in the world. So they they they're just a few that are really that are really unhealthy. But then for me, like the mature masculinity is like living with integrity, being an example, being an example to the younger generation, showing generativity to ourselves, to the planet. We're being like stewards, stewards for for the next generation. And like holding space, I feel like, that's why I like to hold the men's spaces because, or mass like masculine identified people because that masculine container creates a space for that whatever it needs to come up. So we hold we we hold that yes, and we're just, we're just trying to t- we're trying to take that apart and then we're trying to build healthy relationships with other men because I feel like, like that's what I get from a lot a lot of guys struggle with being around other men and I, I get it. So I'm trying to create a space where we can kind of rebuild the bridge, you know. It's amazing. I mean, you know, this, it's not often talked about, but, you know, we all have some kind of role in society and I've done reading over the years and, and what a lot of people sort of sometimes are unaware of is that the relationship between heterosexual men and gay men is actually very important and it's often very undervalued or underrated that, you know, gay men and straight men can act as, as like have strong bonds with each other that aren't, you know, obviously, obviously not sexual, but they allow each other to to be themselves. I have spoken to many heterosexual men who've said that having a gay male friend has allowed them and given them the permission to be themselves, to truly be uh, present and vulnerable without the fear of being judged or the fear of being uh, sensitive or emotional in front of women. Because obviously men put on, heterosexual men often feel, cisgendered men feel they have to put on this, this facade to be able to create this strength. Um, and, you know, in, in ancient cultures, gay people were seen as two-spirited people. In South American culture and American Indian culture, gay people were seen as two-spirited. So in creating the embodiment of both genders um, and being able to sort of show up and, as you say, hold space for people and allow them to sort of be themselves. And this is, for me, what is so toxic about our society is that we're not allowed to be ourselves we're not allowed to show who we truly are. We get two options. You can be man or woman. You can be gay or can be straight. You can be this or that, you know, and you create these impossible ideals. Your relationships must look like this. You must dress like this. You must talk like this. Women have these jobs. Men have these jobs. And if you step outside of that binary, you're a freak or you're a, you're something wrong with you. You know what I mean? But we're, I really, like as people, our gender, our sexuality, our personality are a beautiful rainbow of diversity and complexity, but we don't celebrate that. You know, we try and kind of even 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 in simple things like 
if I can draw a parallel with fruits and vegetables, we go in the supermarket and we see all the tomatoes look the same. All the oranges all look the same because people want to create uniformity. Anything else that stands out is considered like dangerous or concerning. This comes from our tribal cultures, right? And, and there's a saying in Japan, which is particularly poignant, the nail that sticks up must be hammered down. <laughs> and, you know, even in, in, in sort of cultures like Japan as well, which are quite conservative, there is a, a mindset of like, don't be different. You know, and we have it in the in the UK as well. Things have changed a lot over the centuries, but individuality with it when it comes to sexuality or gender or whatever is discouraged. Um, and for me, this is part of the problem. And I think that, you know, experiences like yours where you go and people can be themselves are so important. It's so important for be- people to have a safe space where they can go and let it all out you know, and truly show up. And, and that, those experiences are, I've experienced them myself, are transformative. So thank you for, for holding that, that space for these men because it's so important considering, you know, how many men we are losing every day to, to things like suicide. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And like, like you say, like the, the, the roles and like, it's, it's all quite rigid, isn't it? Like sexuality, gender, it's all, it's been put into these rigid structures, just kind of like we have like rigid thought patterns that we can't shake, which lead to like depression and addiction and everything. So it's like, how do we, how do we uh, loosen these, these rigid structures that we have and be just be more accepting of like how people want to show up and express themselves with the retreat. So that's, that's like the kind of the core, like I could mention then Greek actor in nature, but the things we do, we'll go like, we'll go surfing, we'll do, We'll do breath work, meditation, movement, um, foraging. Um, yeah, so it's like really cool like activities. Obviously, you have the, the, the campfire, the fire like, where, we'll, where we'll talk. Because mm-hmm. I feel that kind of like you talk about primal cultures, that kind of, yeah. it kind of takes us, it kind of brings us back. So back think, to who we are. Yeah, like fire was like the one of our first like attractions to a stimulus, wasn't it? And it was, we sat around, it kind of brings you back to that space, especially I say maybe men who would have been who sat around the fire like on a hunt or something like uh, things like that. It kind of brings back that like like tribal feeling. Yeah, community. That's 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 mm. really important. That's that's mm. what we're trying to get really. Speaking of community, uh, you are part. Oh, I don't know if whether you identify as vegan or not. I don't want to make any assumptions, but no, like being, when, when one does uh, say they're vegan or, or join the vegan community, you know it is a global community of people. You know how has that felt for you? Because obviously, it can be bittersweet sometimes. There's lots of fantastic benefits to being part of such a passionate community. There's also some negatives as well. You can create, you know, a lot of sort of like group speak and group think where people behave a little bit strangely. Whenever you get large groups of people that coalesce, you do get problems. <laughs> but how do you feel about the community? You know, what do you think is sort of holding pa- holding it back? Uh, what are some of the sort of, you know, things that you've noticed about it over the years? I, 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 loved, I loved the community. I think it's great. I and mean, I'm, I'm really proud to be a part of it. It's quite interesting. I've no, I've noticed lately there's, there's be, people have been speaking to who aren't vegan. I feel like there's, I feel like there's a bit, a bit of a backlash at the moment. I don't know how you, because uh, we're definitely making strides. We're definitely making strides, but at the same time, there's resistance. I don't know how you, obviously, you, you're, you got, you got plant based news, a massive corporation, so you're going to see this and feel this more than me who lives in a van. What's holding, what, not necessarily what's holding us back, but going forward, we need to be more accepting. And we need to be more sensitive to, to others, and it's the way and the way we we come across. And it's hard, man. It's hard because I know, especially when we all first go vegan, we all got this like fire. We're like, I want to like tell, I want to tell you what this is doing. I, I want to come out. And people, it just people just don't respond to it. 
they really don't respond to it. So it's like, how can we get across the severity of of ditching animal products in a, in a in a compassionate way to others, where they're gonna so so you don't feel like we're coming at them. So that is for me that is the that is the best way to do it. And I, I always I think I think we won't when you look at like the environment the environmental impact it's having you, you can't really argue with that i spoke to someone the other day and they was like oh yeah but there's so many other things that are causing to that i'm like yeah i get i get that but like reducing your uh, reducing your consumption of animal products is a huge is a huge way off the bat like the start straight away and your your response is there's so many other things that i'm gonna do that's like why can't we all work towards like because i'm far from perfect there's so many things that i'll be doing that that isn't great but i'm trying you know I'm, and it's just about it's about trying and like work like slowing down doing it at your own pace um and like like going back to when i mentioned like we are part of nature it, it sounds quite daft doesn't it and it, to me it's like it only clicked like a few years ago and i was like it is mad like that we think we're separate like really i think i think nature has like an actual frequency and like because we live it how we do, or like the, with all the signals, the Wi-Fi, I think we're blocked from it. And we retreat to nature, we feel good, and then we come back. But the reality is, we're, we're going to go back to nature when we die, when we go into the soil. Like we're going to get digested uh, by certain yeah. time. We, and like we're going to go back into the cycle. And it, and for me, that I, I love that. I love that. I love it. Brings me some like definitely some solace. And when you know you, when you kind of bridge that gap and you realise you're part of it. You're gonna, you're not gonna want to hurt the planet, and like part of the retreats for me, I kind of want to try and get into like, the corporate world and get these big CEOs on board because like, if we can help them bridge the gap, like that's that's how we're gonna we're gonna start making a bit of a change, aren't we? If like me, you're passionate about purchasing products from brands who choose considerate and sustainable business practices, you might want to hear about Newzest. They're the sponsor of this episode. The makers of plant-based nutrition products Newzest have a genuine care for the environment. That's why its products are made from sustainable European golden peas grown in clean, toxic-free environments in northern France. Peas are one of the most sustainable sources of plant-based proteins. They use less land and less water while putting nitrogen back into the soil. Newzest manufacturing also has a low carbon footprint. It uses no chemicals in its protein isolation process, purifies and recycles the water it uses, and it turns all waste into biofuel. Its canisters are also 100% recyclable. Find out more about Newsess and their eco-friendly supply chain at newsess.com forward slash PBN. Yeah, so I actually started stopping eating meat at first. I went from, because as I say, I watched, I watched a few, I started watching videos and looking into it myself especially uh, Gary Rofsky. I went and stopped eating meat like pretty soon and that was mainly because I was worried um, that it affected performance on the pitch. So being a rugby player, like, one of our big things is obviously strength, you need to be strong and, and powerful and I was, I was just worried because like, I hadn't looked into it that much yet so that's why I weaned off. So it went from meat to chicken, um, then fish and then cough fish, I was vegetarian for about a year. I started looking into the dairy industry more, the egg industry, um, environmental side of things, like obviously how much it contributes to greenhouse gases, the agronomy of agriculture. And, I just, and I, just, I just felt I started to feel a bit like a bit of a hypocrite, which I, I, I don't mean disrespect to vegetarians, but I, for me personally, I just, I just couldn't do it anymore. 
there's so much potential and it's such an exciting space and you know it's an ever evolving space as well there's so much kind of to choose from and you know talking a little bit about food obviously you transitioned to vegan a, a while ago how have there been changes in you physically since you um, made the switch because obviously being a someone involved in sport and stuff how did you actually you know what did you actually notice about yourself physically when you when you switched to a plant-based diet yeah i only ever had positive reactions and it didn't sound it, there wasn't that much change and for me that that was perfect because i was competing like uh, at the top i was at the top of my game competing for trophies with uh, with lee's rhinos if someone would have said to me look you can you can stop eating it and you can uh, and you, you reduce like the suffering your impact on the planet etc um but you can you can still perform at the top level I would have, I would have snatched the hand off, you know. So, as I, I, I transitioned really slowly. I stopped eating red meat, chicken, fish. There was veggie. Then I went vegan. I tracked it very carefully. I had like the the nutritionists who uh, on it with, so we they helped me with the diet, and we tracked like my um, my muscle mass. So I was getting like my calipers done all the time. After like a year, I had quite a bit of data, and I used to use it when I used to do do some talks on it. My body weight. It stayed the same, but my muscle mass went up. Like, wow, wow. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna make it because I, I, I'm not gonna make a, a massive claim and say it's because I was vegan, uh, but I'm, I'm gonna say it definitely doesn't hurt, and you can, you can still make gains in professional sport as a vegan, hundred percent. You're proof of that, right? Yeah, and I went on to win, to win finals with Leeds as a vegan. So, like, uh, it's definitely nothing stopping you because I think. So game changers was incredible, wasn't it? Everyone loved it. But I, I had so many uh, rugby players messaging me asking about it, and the, but then there was a lot of backlash. There's a lot of backlash from it, and people because people, I think the best way to go about it would have been to say you can you can be as good as anyone as a vegan. But I think it kind of went like you're going to be better as a vegan, you know, and like that that that's going to piss people off <laughs> as it as it did. But yeah, that, does, that doesn't make a good documentary, though, does it? No, 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 absolutely. But like, so obviously, as we said, you're clearly proof of the fact that a plant-based diet, you know, can help you grow strong and you can be big and strong and athletic. What are some of the sort of specific types of foods that you eat? Talk us through kind of like your average day of eating. So I try like uh, pre like predominantly whole foods. So uh, right now, I'm not in season, so uh, I try to I, I intermittent fast, so I don't have breakfast. But if I if I am in season, I will I, I will have breakfast. I'll talk you through like a, 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 rug, a rugby day. So in the morning, I'll, I'll make I'll make overnight oats. So uh, for the night for the morning, in my overnight oats, I will have obviously a good a, a decent amount of a bit a cup of, cup and a half of oats, oat milk, uh, berries, chai seeds, cacao. I've got some porridge oats, organic oats with banana, Viva Life protein, cinnamon. I read somewhere that cinnamon helps the antioxidant intake, so that's my reason for that. Um, and a bit of a milled seed uh, mix. So yeah, this is the my preferred meal to start the day, quick and easy. Get a high dose of protein in, lots of other nutrients that I need to start the day. I eat what I need to perform and that, that's all I do. But it just shows that it doesn't have to be complicated, right? And this is the thing. People are so worried about switching to an animal-free diet and they go, what am I going to eat? It's so difficult. It's not, it's not difficult. But once you know, you can create those healthy patterns. But so, yeah, what about lunch and dinner? Well, give us an example of some of the kinds of things you, you eat in the uh, lunch and evenings. 
yeah like super simple like i'll make i'll make like a like a black bean stir fry i'll literally like chop up some mushrooms broccoli um spinach i'll put the rice in i'll, I'll maybe two two cans of black beans um and that's just like that's just jam with protein and uh and fiber and all, all your micronutrients and like I said, that's very basic. And people say, I don't know what to eat. And there's like very simple meal there. And I might have like like a tempeh or a tofu, like the Thai curry in the evenings um, with rice again, or noodles or something like that. So it's, it's, predominantly, it's predominantly like a lot of beans, a lot of legumes, a lot of grains, like your healthy grains, like your quinoas, your brown rice, your buckwheat, etc. Lots of lots of green veg, oats. So it's just like I'm just like kind of like a big a big horse. I just eat all that kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. I'm having homo bread, scrambled tofu with turmeric and herbs, and avocado. Doesn't look the prettiest, I know, but um, food presentation is not my specialty. Um, tofu in France, it's well in the south of France where I am, it's not that easy to get. Um, you have to go to the major supermarkets and there's like maybe one or two options so but i'm i'm grateful when i get it obviously it's a, a great source of protein for me um i'm not uh, a lot of vegans or uh, people are scared, scared of soy i'm not really scared of it i have it in moderation um yeah I, i'd say i have it maybe once a day if, if that uh, but i mainly stick to um, whole foods and uh, legumes as obviously you'll see with the rest of my meals so yeah well, this is one of my snacks for the day we've got five rice cakes another avocado some olives and some hummus and a bit of nutritional yeast to go on top um, you probably noticed by now my diet's quite high in um, obviously good natural fats and carbs uh, I am I'm not afraid of either I train Oh God, I like, like sometimes two to three times a day with, uh, with with my profession, so I just need to, I need to get the cat I need to get the calories in, and this is a day off as well, I, and I'll eat a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Like it doesn't, you know, don't overthink it, right? Get in. I always say to people, eat the rainbow. If you're not sure what to eat, eat the rainbow. Make sure you're getting all your nuts and seeds, legumes and fruits and vegetables and your cruciferous vegetables, your greens in there. And try and eat as much uh, plant diversity, diversity of plants as you can. You know, it's not always easy to get access to, to lots of fresh fruits and vegetables. I also think like frozen veg is is good if you don't have access to fresh fruit. Um, there's been plenty of studies that show that actually frozen fruits and vegetables can be just as good because obviously it locks the, the, the ice, locks the nutrients into the fruit. Um, but obviously, ideally, if you can, you know, get access to fresh fruit and veg if it's nearby is always best because obviously straight from the field is always best. Not not uh, not apples from New Zealand that, that actually been sitting in a, a container for six months. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> which is shocking when you think about the food system i learned about this on a documentary called food inc where you know food moves around our world and with this international travel and like things like apples get picked um green and then they go into a container where they get filled with this special gas i forget the name i really should learn it and then um the apples sit in this container for up to six months waiting to be shipped uh, and then when they're ready to be shipped they put another gas in there which helps ripen the apples and then off they go um, to the supermarkets and goodness knows how much nutrients they've lost by the time they reach you yeah that's ridiculous and it's like it's not just that is it it's like the air miles it's the sustainability yeah. part of part of it so like if, yeah. if we if we can we can yeah if we can shop as I, I get i get like not everyone's in the position to i, to, I totally get that but at the same time like 
there is some obviously there's your, there's your bougie veg shops, but there is like your local green grocers that is that's relatively cheap and it wasn't grown too far away. So I think if we can all like it's a whole it's a whole lifestyle choice, isn't it? Like vegan is it's not just not eating plants. It's like it's like your toothpaste. What's your toothpaste? What's your toothbrush like? What's your clothes? Is that leather? Like what? What's that? Like? It's it's a full on life. It's, it's a mindset lifestyle. And um, like so, obviously to us now it's second nature. But and it, you kind of grow into that. But it, it can it can seem daunting at the start. But it, it just becomes second nature after after a while. You were so passionate about veganism that you opened up a cafe, Vital Cafe, close to your your club's um, Emerald Head Heading Headingley Home in, mm. in Leeds, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, what were some of the biggest challenges of setting up a business, and what have you learned from that? That that it, it, it was it was challenging. I, I ended up having two, and I'm not. I don't. I don't have them anymore. It it didn't go. The one the one called Punk. It worked. It worked out. But I sold I sold my shares plainly because I don't have the time. But so the lessons from that is the food industry is hard, and yeah. I, I, I wouldn't. I think that we definitely didn't work our way. I was I was staffing outright. We was a bit we was a bit naive. We was we was like we was young. We just kind of went to on like a vegan cafe because it was cool, <laughs> and uh, and yeah. But we we had good intentions. We we wanted to create a, uh, again like we wanted to create a space for people to come, a community, and we we wanted to like meditation there, like uh, yoga classes and stuff. Uh, but it just I couldn't give that much time because because of rugby that that that's obviously all con- was all consuming. So it, it just few a few different reasons it, it didn't necessarily work out but you, you learn you, you you learn then the next one we opened went well it's still going well now but i've just got so i've got so much going on i, I don't have i don't have time so it, it was only fair for me to sell my shirt to someone who can come in and and help it grow you know but what is it like sort of running and owning your own business i mean did you would you continue to do that or was it not for you like how because a lot of people always ask me like i want to start my own business so what's your advice <laughs> what would you say to someone who wants to do their own thing like a cafe like you know do you think it's something that people should be doing in this sort of post covid post pandemic world or what were your thoughts i think so i think it's just got to be done what it's got to be done wisely is there is there a foot traffic you know like uh what what's the good menu going to be can can they make relatively uh affordable food uh, like good food uh, and like can they make a profit on it but in just in terms of, like like a business a, a business yeah I, I think it's great i think it, trying to be entrepreneurial is is, uh, is 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 it's a great thing to aspire to be isn't it like because we don't really get taught we don't really get taught from a young age to like right you need you want to how to be creative to how to follow your intuition how to follow your truth and I, i'm in the i'm in the process of, of starting a, a business at the moment uh, as well as the ret- other side of the retreats away from rugby so i think it's definitely there's something we should we should try aspire to do it if there's a market for whatever that is you know Starting your own business is very challenging and hard and painful at times, but it can be very rewarding. So if you are listening and you're thinking of starting your own business, go for it. You know, start in your free time, start on the weekends and then slowly build it up. And um, yeah, there's definitely uh, a lot of support out there if you know where to look. Next question I just wanted to ask you about was, you know, meditation. You've Over the years, you've talked about how you felt overwhelmed and there was a sort of what now moment that you had how has sort of you know meditation changed you and and talk us through the sort of benefits of it and what what it's done for you as a person yeah meditation is it's uh, it's, it's priceless really if if you if you find a certain because there's lot there's all sorts of all sorts of meditation practices isn't there 
I personally don't think there's one way of doing it that's better than another. You'll have different practices, different groups that might say, oh, this is better. Like, I know, I know, like, for passionate people do for passionate, I know they're like, this is my way or the highway. That, that's, that's fair enough. But, like, I just think if something works for you, that's great. So, so for me, what meditation did, it, well, it created a space where I can see my thoughts objectively with those thoughts or emotions are attached to them. So this thought is going to bring you anger. This thought is going to bring you sadness. This thought is going to bring you joy. And it's just about you. We're always up as a species. We're just always up and down. Like we're, we're in that, like they were in that, the constant, the constant realm. It's like, it's like suffering. And we, we, we suffer due to our thoughts. And because we, we think we, we think we are that thought. And for me, that's what I thought I was. So whatever, whatever that thought was, that's what, that was my mood at the time. So until I could create a little bit of space from that and realize, well, this is just going to pass. This is going to, this is going to go in a second, like, like a cloud, you can't hold on to a cloud. So it, once I, once I learned how to just sit still with it and not necessarily attach and jump towards every fleeting thought, that's, that was a, that was a huge, a huge part, a huge moment for me. What kind of meditation do you practice? Any particular sort of flavor? I've tried. I've tried all sorts in the in in the past, mate. Obviously, people start with like guided meditations where they can build the like the concentration up, so they can like they can focus on on whatever whatever they need to focus on to take themselves out of the mind. I've, I've tried different types of Zen meditation, but for me, I'm I'm just at a point where I just I've just I'm sitting in a space and I'm just, I'm just, I'm an, I'm going to say I like the, the, the awareness that's coming through me is just observing the thoughts and trying not to uh, attach to them. And if we can create a bit of space in between that, that's the better. But for me, it's just acceptance, acceptance of the thoughts as well. I think when people start meditating, start meditation, they, they get, I know people say, Oh, I just can't stop thinking. I'm like, well, the point isn't to stop thinking. You're never going to, you're never going to stop your thoughts. It's like, it's like when there's, when there's, I think in a, in there's a Buddhist saying where there's like, there's waves, there's always going to be waves in the ocean, but in the depths it's, it's still, and it's peaceful, you know? And that's where we, that's where we want to get to that point place where we, we have this deep stillness, but the thoughts are still there. We just don't always have to jump in and be a part of it, you know? So to answer your question, and now I just, I like to just create, create space and just, and I, you can drop, I can't, you can drop into a space where you feel like your body feels really, really heavy. And it's like, it's almost like a sleep, a sleepy state. It's like in between sleep state. And then from there, you just, it can be there as long as you want really. And you just, fingers are just coming up and coming up and you're just like, you're just watching it. Mm, yeah, it can be a really blissful experience. Um, I've practiced different forms of meditation and chanting and uh, mindfulness over the years and had some fantastic results from it. Um, being present and learning to sort of allow the thoughts in your mind to pass through like clouds rather than sort of reaching out and grabbing them and trying to sort of hold on to them, sort of let them move through you and to not over-identify with those thoughts because we are not our thoughts, even though I think there are times where, you know, our anger and our jealousy or our rage, whatever, they consume us and they can take control of, of us and it can easily 
feel like we are these feelings when actually we're not the feelings we're the observer behind that um, and I think creating as you say creating that space between yourself and your feelings there's a gap in between there and that's where we you know where our our sort of power really is in, in finding a sense of joy and happiness as people we can become very quick to anger uh, I myself have quite a temper I can switch to anger quite easily um, and over the years of I have tried to sort of practice being a little more uh, aware of that because obviously when we switch to anger quite quickly it doesn't help us it doesn't help our relationships it doesn't help our, our, our advocacy you know when we're talking about veganism for example when we're talking with others and we're sharing uh, with them and they may, might be disagreeing with us it can be very easy to just to snap and start sort of shouting your mouth at people telling them they're wrong calling them you know rapists and murderers it's very easy to feel anger and sort of project you know that that anger towards others so mindfulness is definitely i agree it's a fantastic gift to the world so um hope you keep it up and uh, long may it last <laughs> for sure but um my next question to you is really about like um van life and sort of camping you you know you brought a camper van and you moved is it cornwall you're in yeah i'm in cornwall currently yeah to immerse yourself in nature and uh, during that time obviously you've you've moved away from uh, a lot of sort of familiar things like how has this journey been how has this experience been for you and, and what have you sort of learned about yourself we've been in the van you're very uh, exposed to the elements especially when i'm on i'm like right near the cliffs in cornwall and like you get you get wind, there's like wind battering the van at night the van is shaking you hear the rain smashing on it and like there's only this like thin like what like very thin piece of metal and then as soon as you get out in the morning, you burst foot. I'm, I'm doing, a, I'm helping out at a surf school. I'm doing a bit of surf instructing, so I'm like in the water all day. I'm like, I'm just totally like immersed by nature all the time, and it, it feels, um, it feels amazing. But just having, for me, it feels great. But I, I can see how people don't really understand it. But it's just, I've, I've always had a longing whilst I've been playing rugby to go just go traveling for like an exterior extended period of time. But I've never been able to because it didn't really make any any sense to people and me at that, that age and now I've got because I've, the French season finishes different to the English season I, I, I've, I and last year when the season got cancelled due to Covid for a bit I got the van and I've, and I've been in and I've been in there ever since so it, it just feels right it feels right that I, I don't mind not having a, a set abode a set uh, a set place I like coming I like coming and going you do you, be, you have to be more resourceful you have to be because I think like in, in like talking about mindfulness in life we we, we, we like to control everything and as soon as something doesn't go in our like our preconceived notions of how life should be uh, there's chaos and, it's, and we can't and we don't do well in it so like put, living in living life where it does, you're just constantly in unpredictability it creates a bit of a, like a more mental robustness and so that's kind of what it's, it's done for me and it, I just I just really enjoy it I really enjoy being this like this vagabond and it's a, it's, it's good fun. <laughs> <laughs> amazing earlier this year you were seen with russell brand at the wilderness festival in oxfordshire russell has been very outspoken uh, of the way he prefers not to go down the route of judging or condemning people for not being vegan how do you feel about that because there is a lot of kind of judgment and aggressive behavior that goes on within the vegan community understandably you know people are very angry about what's happening to our world but how do you what do you think about that approach the way there are many people who can be quite confrontational and aggressive about sort of forcing veganism on others yeah i'm not a fan of it i'm not a fan of it at all i've i've heard people say when vegans like that it makes me want to eat more meat <laughs> so i i think people some people will, will try spite uh, vegans by 
eating even more meat if if we if we come out with that approach. So it is count it's counterproductive. Anger's never really got us anywhere, you know. Well, uh, unco- unconscious unconscious anger. Uh, obviously, anger can be used for inspiration if if used right, but unconscious anger's never really got us anywhere and uh, into trouble. So I'm not a fan of that approach. Like like I said earlier, it's got to come with it's got to come with compassion and try try bridge the gap with understanding but just on Russell Brand he uh, gave me his number and he voice noted me so we're pretty much best friends so yeah <laughs> you can quote you can quote that he's great he's such a great man I, I met him a few times I've been to a few of his sort of like intimate kind of discussion sessions he's so fascinating I mean he's obviously you know he was he was a bit of a as you used the word vagabond for a while and kind of you know got himself into a lot of trouble but He's, you know, he's an interesting character just because he's he's spent a lot of time working on himself. He's studying a, a degree in international politics and relations, I believe. You know, he's 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 an ex addict, so he's worked very hard to to lift up the conversation around addiction as a as a health crisis and not a criminal. Uh, you know, not one of, of criminality, but one of health that, you know, addiction is something that should be seen as a health crisis rather than something that should be criminalized and that we shouldn't be locking people up for drug addiction. We should be helping them. We should be supporting them, guiding them, giving them kind of connection. And, you know, that does obviously tap into that discussion we talk, talked earlier about a lot of young men feeling isolated, feeling ostracized. You know, we live in a society where people are being rejected for various different ways in which they have kind of decided to identify. I mean, one of the things that's been in the news recently is um, these young men who, or, or older men, whoever they are, describe themselves as incel or in, in involuntary celibate men who have kind of started to build a bit of a subculture and a rejection of to our society there was a you know there's a widely publicized attack that happened um in in the south of of england recently where a young man unfortunately killed a lot of people and he identified as being one of these incel men how do you feel about this sort of this this sort of culture and you know what do you think is sort of causing this sort of toxic you know i don't want to again use the word toxic masculinity but it's linked into that how people view themselves and and what do you think drives someone to sort of uh, take these kinds of actions? Comes back to what I said before about a lot of people acting out over the um, over like the recent um, attention to equality and especially especially uh, all the stuff. I think it was that was it Sarah, that the woman Sarah who who was killed and like there's a there's a massive uh, awareness brought to it, which which is great. But even from that, a lot a lot of men were starting to feel like defensive about oh no we're not we're not all rapists and stuff. I'm like, well, how about how about stop getting offended for a second and think about how can how can we move forward together and make this better? It's saying with equality, how can we be better allies? So to the to the gay, bi, lesbian community, to the to the black community, how can we be better allies? Why are we taking offence? And I think that so my answer is, we're taking offence to it, and we we're um, we're feeling our like our privilege is being threatened. So we're, there's men are, men are acting out, and that's that. I think that's it. It's quite maybe quite controversial, but that, that's what it's coming down to, and I think it's rubbish. Mm. Yeah, I think that when people uh, act in a, a state of defensiveness, they are centering themselves in the conversation when in fact when there are victims in any situation it goes for the same when we talk about meat eaters and vegans when vegans have conversations with meat eaters they can often get very defensive and center themselves in the conversation when in fact the vegans are talking about the victims which are animals and isn't it very interesting and very telling how people sort of center themselves and make it about them which is i guess quite common it's uh, you know part of our egos the way we sort of center ourselves and i think going back 
to what we talked about meditation. For me, this is one of the most powerful parts of meditation, which is about learning to be uh, more aware of your ego. We all have egos. You know, people talk about ego deaths and sort of these kind of ideas, which I find a little bit crazy. You can't get rid of your ego. It's an intrinsic part of your psychology. But Creating a distance between yourself and your ego allows you to become more self-aware, to introspect, to sort of question your words, your actions, and your thoughts. And when you create that space between those things, it does allow you to sort of become a little bit more uh, learned, right? And I think that's what you're doing with your meditation. It's allowed you to sort of expand your masculinity, yeah. really, rather than contract it. Because it's this fear of like masculinity is being repressed, it's being destroyed, the irony is it's it's about expanding your masculinity. It's about widening your circle of compassion. And it's the same with veganism. When you remove animal products from your diet, you're not contracting your diet. People go, what do you eat? You're vegans. What do you eat? What do you live on grass? No, we've, you know, when you switch to a vegan diet, you eat a lot more because you become more aware of the possibilities. And as uh, being a man as well, it's like maybe when you let go of that male fragility, as they call it, you can learn to expand your emotional range, right? And become a more intricate and uh, diverse ma man. Because for me, that is what masculine is. It's this huge, beautiful spectrum. Uh, but actually what most people see of masculinity is a tiny little sliver of reality when actually masculinity or femininity is a beautiful rainbow of people and that actually through self-reflection through masculine through meditation through doing you know these events that you do this allows us to sort of really truly see ourselves now one other thing i didn't talk to you about and i don't know if you have experience on it at all and it'd be interesting to hear what you think but what is your take on psychedelics have you ever experienced them do you think that they play a role in developing our mental state, our mindfulness, our meditative, you know, meditative states, expanding our consciousness? What are your, how do you feel about them? You've just stepped right into my office, mate. Um, <laughs> I am a huge, uh, and this this is quite a controversial because I'm a professional athlete, but I'm not currently on. I'm currently on the. I'm currently just deciding where I'm going to go, so I don't care. Uh, I am a. I'm a huge advocate of psychedelics, uh, but that being said. There's so much about them that we need to that we need to know. I'm guessing you're probably similar to me. You're you're in, you're reading all the research that's being done at the moment at uh, Imperial College, Johns Hopkins, Yale. You're probably reading all this. But to the to the normal person who's not, when you make when people think of psychedelics, they think of the '60s. They think of people jumping out the windows because they're on LSD. They think of all these horror stories where it's like anything you wouldn't you wouldn't do a hike you wouldn't do, you wouldn't climb Everest without any preparation so you shouldn't do psychedelics without preparation first of all you need to know why you're doing the psychedelic what's the reason if you're doing it to get high at a pie not a good idea but if like like you mentioned if you're doing it for some introspection expansion of consciousness then you're doing it for the right reasons for connect for connection so psychedelics for me when I've taken them have really, so I talk about the connection with nature and others, but when you take a certain psychedelic, you can actually feel it. And it's, it, it can't be questioned that connection. It's like, it's uh, intrinsic, you know? And, but again, there's, or you can get, people can get there through meditation, these expansive levels of consciousness. And so I, I like to call it like the source. It's the source of us, isn't it? Different psychedelics will get, will take you to the source, the tools, the great tools. They just need, the, uh, the information needs to be more, widespread and like they need, I, for me I think there needs to be centers where people can go and have these amazing experiences on psychedelics with, with qualified trained uh, therapists you know like people there to help guide the trips and, and things like this so you obviously asked me a question I'm very passionate about <laughs> um, <laughs> no I'm, I'm also equally passionate about it you know it's 
very frustrating that in sort of most parts of the Western world, you know, psychedelics are um, criminalized um, and uh, not legal. Definitely not telling people to go out and do them right now. You know, obviously in the UK, that is still a crime. In the USA, it's still a crime, obviously, I have to say that. But there are many fantastic studies in the US and the UK that are showing how psilocybin, for example, magic mushroom, the active component of magic mushroom, is helping people transform the most horrific forms of depression, all kinds of mental sort of challenges and struggles that people, deep trauma that people have experienced and been able to sort of wipe them away or at least sort of alleviate the deepest suffering that a lot of pharmaceutical drugs have not been able to do. I, I often think, you know, pharmaceutical drugs do have a place, but a lot of the time they are a blunt instrument. They can be very heavy on the body, have a lot of side effects. Um, I don't know of any uh, known side effects from consuming magic mushrooms, from consuming psilocybin. I personally, uh, you know, over the years have enjoyed many <laughs> experiences that have been incredibly transform transformative and have taken me on journeys that I never thought I would experience in my mind, but also I have theories of the idea that psychedelics actually phase shift our minds into parallel universes. That the quantum computers that are that are our brains, I definitely believe our brains are a quantum computer that allow us to sort of like e exist in this three dimensional world. They phase shift our consciousness into a space that might be parallel to this universe or somewhere else. Because there have been many experiences where I have felt like I have been elsewhere and I've been communicating with beings from other universes. And people listening might go, "Wow, this is completely crazy," but. I definitely would like to see it part of like a rite of passage for people in our in our society. And I think we've lost that. You know, our tribal societies consume these psychedelic substances as part of our rituals and our spiritual practices. Um, even here in the UK, you know, the, the Druids and the, the various sort of like tribal cultures that, that were once inhabited this these beautiful green isles um, and we've lost it you know we've let it go and our, our culture especially the sort of our english culture our english heritage has lost a lot of that um, and I, I think we should definitely advocate for a, a return to that and a, and a healthy use of it as you say this is not about recreation about taking these mind-altering substances and just bopping around nightclubs it's actually about learning to be better people no, I, obviously, I, I don't think it's crazy what you said, and I, I'm kind of under a, a similar picture. So obviously, probably read a lot of like Aldous Huxley, Doors of Perception, Brave New Words. So, like, he uses the term like, so our central nervous system is the reducting valve of like how we, like you say, how we perceive this 3D reality. We're just we're just looking at like light that's being reflected back to us, aren't we? And this for, for our our survival as a as a sapien, this uh, this is the best what I can see now. This is the best way for me to survive our central nervous system kind of it's like a reducing valve to to all to this information via the brain so for me like you say so what what people what it's a common opinion in this field isn't it like psychedelics when it when it quietens down the default mode network in the brain this reducing valve opens up and you are be able to perceive more so like you're saying you, you you're communicating with different beings that that could well be that could well be the case there's there's arguments that could be in the mind but there's arguments that it's not and I, I think I agree about the brain. I think the brain is, it's more of a, a sat, it's a, it's a receiver. So like, like kind of like you've got TVs and you've got the, you've got the signals. So you turn the TV off. There's like the signal still there. We're just tapping into. We're, I, 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 I think consciousness is. I don't think it's made in the brain. I think it's. I think we tap in. We tap into it. You know. 
I definitely agree with that. I definitely feel like this idea that, you know, our, our consciousness is locked up within our brain is a bit of an illusion. I believe that the brain itself, as you say, is like a, a transmitter and a receiver of information of consciousness, that consciousness that pervades the entire universe is everywhere. It's in all things. It's in the table and the chairs and the walls and everything around us. But when we take on this flesh suit, this body that our brains, uh, you know, operate as a transmission signal and receiver, like a sort of satellite dish and each body and the unique encoding of our dna creates that personality and so when you tap into that great sort of lake of consciousness it encodes its our identity into this individual body and so it takes on the illusion of individuality which is not anything other than an illusion i'm i'm kind of tuned into the channel four frequency so are you but because it's taken taken hold or sort of sitting within your physical form anthony and robbie create a slightly different variation of personality um, slightly, I'm sure we're very different, but we're also probably very similar as well. <laughs> we're the same in all the ways that matter. That's what I say, you know, and that individual personality is what gives us our identity. And within that identity is the ego and the, you know, the subconscious mind and everything. But we're going around like a little sort of puppets in the, wearing these bodies, thinking that we're individuals, thinking that we're the most important thing in the whole universe, but we're really not. We're just a tiny little fragment of a giant infinite consciousness and for me psychedelics give us access to that they, they give us that sort of like feedback loop where we go back up through the spout <laughs> into the into the mother yeah. into the mothership <laughs> yeah <laughs> and it can be scary for a lot of people i think that's you know in the 60s when people started first experimenting with psychedelics the government shut it down because they were worried about what it would do to people because they only saw the worst of it but it definitely has a place i think in our society I agree with everything you just said. You're speaking, you speak, you speak in my language, and I feel like that that individuality that that, that you mentioned, like so as as you, like, the life, it's it's amazing, and we we need to celebrate this 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 human form, and like we're a small part of that entire con in that entire consciousness, the thing that's the energy that's driving the universe. That is that is who that is who we are, and it's beautiful. The mycelium. Yeah, literally, like, we're like, we're, we are we are part of it, aren't we? And it, it's it, and it's beautiful. But the only issue is we can celebrate that. But the issue is when we take our like we then we just broaden that right down, and we just we have these really rigid structures of thoughts, past experiences, and this is who we are. So it's like, how can we break that down? We're still living it. Anthony's still got I've still got to make money and play rugby. How can I do that without not forgetting what I'm a part of? You know, mm. and getting too wrapped up in that. Mm. Well, that's what that's another point about this sort of you know the the journey inward the. the adventures in consciousness one has to be very careful not to let go of your feet here in this three-dimensional world that there are many people who practice or not practice who fall into what i call many call spiritual bypassing where you rather than actually doing the work and using these techniques or tools or, or plant medicines to actually transform who you are you become consumed by it and you're doing you know ayahuasca ceremonies every weekend and you're doing the, this and then the mushrooms every weekend and you're doing trauma work every weekend and it's like you know you do also need to live your life as a human being you are here your life is a gift and an opportunity to live in a world to be a human is actually a huge privilege being a human being is a privilege because you know what? You could have been born a cow or a chicken or a pig. Um, and that is absolutely not what you want to be born in this world. Because as we know, linking it back to veganism, you know, animals, farmed animals, you know, suffer horrifically uh, in this world. And if you are a consciousness and farmed animals are conscious, they're sentient beings, just like we are with thoughts and feelings and inner worlds. 
you know, imagine being born a pig and living in one of those horrific like sheds where you're then shipped off uh, into a into a slaughterhouse and you don't know what's going on. And you know, those those animals are sentient like us; they are aware. And I think a lot of people are they don't think about this. And that's what psychedelic experiences have taught me: is that to be born human is actually a huge privilege. And even you know, even in horrific parts of the world where you're in the midst of a war, you still are a human being with with all the faculties of being human. It can be a blessing and it can be a curse, I think, as well. Many, many great thinkers of our, of our, of our species have said, you know, like the, the idea of having a conscious mind and being self-aware is wonderful, but it's also tormenting. We can see what we're doing. We can become aware of, it, of, of too much sometimes. And, you know, as you say, when we expand our mind and our awareness into all things, it, when we stare into the void, and we see this all the darkness around us it can be very difficult that me let leads me on to my next question though with like so much suffering and sort of darkness in the world we've just lived through a, a horrific pandemic that's killed over 4.5 million people worldwide in just 18 months you know how do you stay positive as a person like what are the some of the things that you do other than your meditation like how do you how do you stay centered so i'm a big um, i'm a big fan of stoic philosophy as as most as most of your bros are, I I'm a, I'm a huge fan, I, and they, they've they've got they've got set for like set cardinal virtues of like living an integ an integral life. And one of the biggest ones for me was I know it sounds it sounds like a cliche, but like just dealing with what you can control. It sounds very simple, but it's also it's also very it's also really relevant. So there's a lot of stuff going on right right now, and it, and it's it's terrible. So first of all, how what can I do to like impact any any sort of a positive change towards it? And uh, but if there's anything, if there's nothing I actually can do, I, I just I need to work within the realms of what I can control, because otherwise I'm gonna drive I'm gonna drive myself mad. And, and that, that I'm, I, I apologize if that seems quite selfish, but to stay to stay sane in this world with so much stuff going on, you have to work within those realms. And for, like when stuff happens to us in life, it's not it, 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 they also it's how we respond. So like. You can control your response to whatever happens. So in that, it gives you an element of control. So I can I can control my reaction in any situation if if I'm conscious enough. So I, I work within these staples of how how to live an appropriate life, really. And I, I, I gratitude gra- uh, gratitude is a huge one for me in my meditation. Towards the end, I like I w- I kind of won't leave my meditation until I've like arose like the uh, feelings of like love joy happiness peace i like i like i'll say it over and i'll thank myself for it and i feel it and then i'll come out with meditation and i've just got this like love and it because i have that from then i don't need to look for something outside myself to come and give me that happiness to give me that joy because i've already worked on it i've already just found i've already found it within myself so i think i think we need to find whatever it is we need within ourselves, and then we take it out to the world like you say people spiritual bypassing learning this stuff that we need to learn then going too far we need to learn that you know it now how do we show up in the world how do we bring that like that we've learned and try help others you know i always ask my guests this one final question if you were stuck on a desert island and it was just you and a pig (laughs) obviously you wouldn't eat the pig because you're vegan um and i could give you one vegan dish one music album and one book what would you take with you so what relevance is the pig though how have i got got, how am i going to feed the pig you're just stuck on this island with this pig he's your mate uh and you've got a book a vegan dish and a music album what would you take with you all right okay it's from that it's from the joke you know people always say like why if you were stuck on a desert island with a pig would you eat the pig yeah yeah. that question well he's my mate so no i'm not gonna eat him 
Yeah. So, first mind from Nick Mulvey. I don't know if you know Nick Mulvey. He's a, that's his favourite artist. And how many times must we be stunned? Every star is a rising sun. I'll be leading on. You'll be leading on. A book. It depends because if, it, if it's this health help, you know, there's no point having a self help book on an island if it's not if you can't do anything. But <laughs> I'm going to say "Untethered Soul" by Michael Singer. Consciousness is one of the great mysteries in life. Inner energy is another. It's actually a shame how little attention the Western world pays to the laws of inner energy. We study the energy outside and give great value to energy resources, but we ignore the energy within. People go about their lives thinking, feeling, and acting, without the understanding of what makes these activities take place. The truth is, every movement of your body, every emotion you have, and every thought that passes through your mind is an expenditure of energy. That's one of my all-time favorite books. So good. good. What was the last one? A, a vegan dish, one dish that you could eat for the rest of your days on your island. Oh, it's going to have to be like a junk foody one, isn't it? It can't be like a... I'm going to say like a like a like a vegan uh, sweet and sour Chinese with noodles and curry sauce. <laughs> amazing! <laughs> Sounds amazing, Mr. Anthony Bellali. Thank you so much for joining us on the PBN podcast. It's been very interesting chatting to you, my friends. Likewise, mate. Likewise. Thanks so much for having me. I feel like we could have a part two on uh, psychedelics if you're up for it. Yeah, I agree. Definitely. Definitely. Um, amazing. Thanks so much for joining us, everyone. I've been your host, Robbie Lockie, and this is the PBN Podcast. We'll be back next week with more veganism, food, fashion, animals, and everything in between. Thanks again to Newsast, who kindly sponsored this episode. If you're on the hunt for a pea protein to boost your daily protein intake or to optimize your health, I definitely recommend checking out their products. Have a browse at newsest.com and don't forget to use the discount code PBN20 to get 20% off.